Exodus chapter 12. We, this is our second week here in Exodus chapter 12. We'll be looking at the details of the Passover story. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great love and your mercy. Uh, Lord, that even though we fail you uh, every day, Father, your great love and mercy uh, overwhelms us as you accept us back, as you prompt us to repent, and we, we turn back to you in humility. Father, you restore us as quick as lightning into um, a right standing with you. Father, thank you for covering over our sins, taking away our sins with the very blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would just do a work of restoration in all of our hearts and in all of our lives. Help us to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you have been our Passover lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. No word of God is pointless. Nothing in here is pointless. Every single word matters. Every single word is deeply important. It all has value for the student and the child of God. Uh, he made known mistakes. Nothing is wasted. All the pages in here are needed. Um, in, in this episode that we've been reading of the Passover, it's not different. And we're going to explore some of the, some of the low-hanging fruit from this passage uh, today. Uh, and we're going to feast on it. So Spurge and quote, Spurge and quote, sometimes I... Do a Spurgeon quote, which reminds me, the coolest thing is that Ryan, our, our super awesome tech guy and drummer, uh, he built a Spurgeon quote skill for Alexa on, and, on Amazon. So if you have a phone and you download the Alexa app or you have Alexa at your house, you can just say Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote, and it will give you one of like 17,000 Spurgeon quotes. Um, so thank you, Ryan, for being super nerdy and awesome and my homeboy. Okay. So our Spurgeon quote for today says, the more you read the Bible, the more you meditate upon it, the more you will be astonished with it. He who is but a casual reader of the Bible does not know the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the mighty meanings contained in its pages. So I read that because... We're diving in to, uh, you know, generally we go verse by verse and, and we just uh, hit things as they come and we get the, the general idea. But today we're going to dive in to some of the um, deep, deeper and more. We're just going to hit a lot of different um, encouraging things today from this portion. Some of the details that may be missed if we just read through it once slowly. And as we studied last week, and if you missed it, it's basically, this is the 10th plague, and it's the Passover. And uh, what happens is that God asks the people to take a lamb for each family, to kill that lamb, and to take its blood and put it on their doorsteps, or the doorposts on, on their house, stay in the house, and the angel goes throughout the land of Egypt and kills all the firstborn of everything, and, uh, but they're protected in their homes when they have the blood of the lamb protecting them. And that's the, the general story. And we, so we studied that last week in kind of a big picture way. And I want to just remind you of the one big point, which is that Jesus is the lamb that is being spoken of. 
Okay, so we're actually going to start in 1 Peter. I'm going to read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible, corruptible things like gold or silver from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Peter tells us clearly, Jesus was your lamb. You were redeemed not by a price of gold or silver, but with his very blood. In Isaiah 53, if we were to read the whole chapter, we would see all these references to Jesus being sacrificed for you. And it says explicitly, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And then if we fast forward to the book of Revelation, in Revelation, you know what Jesus is called 28 times? The lamb of God. The lamb of God. 28 times. You think God is trying to make a point at the end of Revelation? He's saying he is the Lamb of God, but is he your Lamb? Is he your Lamb? Have you taken his blood and applied it to your life? You're like, yes, I've saved. I've been saved for a long time. That's why I'm at church. Weirdo? True, okay. But are we engaging with that blood daily? Are we taking that blood and living in a home that has that blood on its doorpost. Well, that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. So let's just go ahead and reread the entire uh, section here in Exodus chapter 12, and then we will look at some of the details that are uh, important for us today. So, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On this, the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, and a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, the male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and there shall uh, some. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat of the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with the unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in the fire. Its head with its legs and its entrails. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist and with sandals on your feet and with a staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, where I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, I will strike the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on 
Uh, On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat on that day only can it be prepared for you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for for on this same day I will have uh, brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout all your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, when you eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month in, in the evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So then from verse 21 through 28, they, they complete this. And, the, the, and Moses called all the elders of Israel and said, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into the houses and strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. And it will come to pass that when you come into the land, which the Lord uh, will give you, just as he promised, that you will keep this service, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, they, they did. All right, so we get the idea of what's going on. We're going to look at 14 small points of detail that are really, I think, going to bless you and going to encourage you that this was all done for a very specific reason, and that is you. Your relationship with God today is based on this. And that just blows my mind, that they went through this. This actually happened back there for them, but it really was for you to encourage you on this Sunday to call upon the Lord, to depend on the Lord, and to see what he uh, would do for you in, in delivering you and redeeming you in this day. So number, fir- number one, the first thing we see is that the Passover changed the calendar for Israel. It said it was uh, that they were to start their year with this month of Nisan from now on. And what this speaks to us and what this teaches us is that the beginning of our life, once we come to know the Lord, the beginning of every day even, is all rotated around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the first month for them. It's the first thing they think about. When they start a year, it's always around the sacrifice. And, and that's how we should begin our days. Every single one of our days is Jesus is my sacrifice. He has given himself for me. And that is what I'm going to go forward with this day as being the center of my life. Number two, the lamb was appointed to die four days before the sacrifice. 
This is crazy. So four days before they killed the lamb, a family was supposed to take a lamb and kind of adopt it into their family. They would take it, they keep it in their house, they put a leash on it and walk it around, get to know it, maybe give it a name. You know, I don't know, Lammy or whatever. Uh, what? <laughs> fluffy. Yeah, Fluffy. I remember that. Um, so they, they would have this lamb. They would, it would be there amongst their kids and their family. And, and as just about four days in, we got a puppy a couple of weeks, um, about a week and a half ago, right? And about four days in, the kids are like really attached to the puppy. So can you imagine if we said, all right, kids, gather around while we slit the throat of this puppy? Oh, man, that would be a bad day, right? Because your kids are just starting to, to understand that this is a life. This is a real living, breathing thing, and they're connecting with it. And so the lesson here would be extremely vital and, and visceral and real in the lives of the kids and all the people as they have to kill the lamb. It was appointed to die before the sacrifice. And, and it also, everything we're going to see here today points to Jesus, okay? This, everything points to Jesus. Jesus was also appointed to die before he died. He not, it was not an accident that Jesus just happened to end up on the cross, Right? He said many times before, I've been appointed to this. It even says he was appointed before the creation of the world. He was appointed for it. Um, The second thing we see here is that the lamb dwelt with the family before he was sacrificed. Well, isn't it amazing that Jesus came and was a Jew? He lived as an Israelite. He, He lived among the people developing relationships before he was sacrificed as well. So we're going to see all these little connections that are, that are going to lead us to one point at the end. Number three, the lamb was supposed to be without blemish. A pure lamb, a spotless lamb. That speaks of sinlessness, obviously. Sinless. And, and it also, the lamb was supposed to be one year old, which means it was not to be too old or too young. Both would be weak, but at the, at the middle of his life, the, the strength of his life. That also, Jesus lines up straight with that. He was 30 years old when he began his ministry, 33 when he died. I'm past 33 now, which means I feel old and decrepit. You guys are like, you have no idea. (laughs) Exactly. All right, so these things just pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. Number four, he says, you got to pick your lamb. The word your lamb is used. This means that this lamb was supposed to have a personal connection with each of the families, with each of the people that God was redeeming. It's your lamb. Did you get your lamb? They would ask the families, did you have your lamb? Do you got your lamb yet? It wasn't a lamb. It was your lamb. And in our lives, see, the Holy Spirit is constantly, he's changing our relationship with Jesus from he's a lamb of God to he is your lamb. You know how he does that? As we repent, as we humble ourselves, as we sin, and we feel the need for blood to wash away our sins. When we have that need, he becomes he changes from a lamb to my lamb. Like in, in Galatians 2.20. In Galatians 2.20, I will read that to you. Um, he says, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this, when, when your relationship with God changes from being what my parents took me to church, and, and, and I go to church because it's the right thing to do when it's Sunday, and we do this before we watch football, right? <laughs> no. When it changes from that to my Jesus loved me, and he gave himself for me, and his blood washes me, I get to go take communion. I get to, to come hear his word, and I would be very dry in my heart if I didn't partake in those things today. Today. That's the change that we're looking for, where it's not, we're, we're not looking for anyone to just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do but because he has become our lamb. We want his blood on us. He loved me and gave himself for me, so I live in a newness of life, Paul says in Galatians 2.20. All right, number five, the fifth thing we see, is that all the people killed the lamb together. At sunset, they all took their knives out, they all slit the throats, and all the lambs cried, and all the blood was spilt at the same time time. And what this speaks to us, the picture it's painting, is that not one group or not one person killed Jesus, but all the people together agreed that Jesus should die. Do you remember that? You know, the the Gentiles and the Jews all decided at the same moment Jesus should be crucified. No matter what their feelings were on the issue, no matter how um, much they felt like they needed it or understood what was going on, they didn't understand, but they all agreed the lamb should die. The lamb should die. And we would agree today, even. Because if he doesn't die, who dies? We do. So if, if, if we were transported back then, or, or that didn't happen, and Jesus was living in our day today, you know what we would be shouting at the judgment of Pilate? Crucify him. No matter what you understand, no matter how good of a person you think you are, no, you would be shouting, crucify him. Because even in our position today, where we've been saved and we've been washed clean, if we know Jesus is the lamb, we have no choice. He must be crucified. No matter how much you love him, no matter how good of a guy you think he is, he has to die for you to live. This is the, re- the role of the Lamb of God. And if, if he's called the Lamb of God 28 times in the book of Revelation, I think God wants us to understand Jesus is just fine with that role. He's happy to be your Lamb. You ever think like you're bumming God out when you sin? Like God is disappointed in you? It's something that we feel. I, I totally get it. I mean, you would disappoint, if you disappoint your wife or you disappoint your boss, you feel shame and guilt. But Jesus wants you to know today, I am glad to be your lamb. I will wash away your sin every time. You got to keep coming to me. You keep coming to me and I will wash you every single time. I don't get tired of it. It is who I am. I am the lamb. That rhymes. 
All right, number six. We see that this event happened on the 14th of Nisan. That's a month in the Hebrew calendar. And that day is very important. It's very significant because as the exact, get this, the exact same night that Jesus was killed a couple thousand years later. Now, maybe he was killed because it was that night, but I, looked at, I look at it from both ends saying it's that way for a reason. We're supposed to know. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of Nisan on this exact night because this Passover points to, it's a foreshadow of Jesus being sacrificed for all the people. Number seven, this one's awesome. Why does God use the singular lamb and not the plural for lambs being killed in our text in Exodus chapter 12? He says, kill the lamb, kill the lamb. All the people shall kill the lamb. Doesn't he know there's one lamb for each person? Doesn't he know there's lots? Why does he only say the singular lamb? And the answer is because God only had one lamb in mind. Jesus. Jesus is the lamb of God. And all these lambs, all these foreshadows, all these pictures, they point in straight to him. There's only one lamb. Number eight. The people are commanded to eat the lamb. Now, we studied this at the end of our study last week. This speaks of fellowship with Jesus, partaking. Jesus even said this, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You can't have a relationship with me. And they, they said, well, that's really hard to understand. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. It just means having, coming to me and believing my words, reading the Bible and believing me that that's my word to you. This fellowship with Jesus is eating him. And he says uh, that they were supposed to eat it without leaven and without bitter herbs. So we're going to look at those details. Why leaven? Leaven in the Bible is a picture of evil, of sin. And what this is saying here is that your fellowship with Jesus will not be fruitful unless you repent of your sin daily. Sin gets in the way of our fellowship with Jesus. You know, if we, if we hold on to our sin. I'm not saying when you sin, you can't have fellowship with Jesus, but there needs to be proper dealing with it, which is we confess our sins to the Lord, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there is this sin aspect. He says, don't eat, don't eat this, this lamb, with leaven in your house, with bread that has yeast in it. That's sin. Don't, don't think that you can enjoy your sin and be living in your sin, and at the same time, oh, I'm going to go to church and, and have a perfectly right relationship with Jesus. That doesn't work. It can't work. The second thing he says is to have bitter herbs. Bitter herbs. That speaks of a broken and tender heart. That's remembering that it's your sin that punishes the lamb. And he chooses to be your substitute and to redeem you by his love. And when we remember that it's my sin that is the reason why he's dying, that the reason why he's sacrificed, 
it, it, it's, it's a humbling thing. It's a breaking thing in my heart. And God says, yeah, that's a proper attitude to have. What are you saying? I need to be brokenhearted over my sin and failure every day in order to have a right relationship with God? That sounds like a bummer. You know, that's not what they taught me on, on Sunday when I was watching uh, the preacher on TV. He says, just be happy about everything. No, God says you should probably eat the sacrifice with bitter herbs. Understand that we need God so much, and he has done so much to love us. Let's look at Philippians 3.10 for a cross-reference for, at this point. Philippians 3.10. Paul says, that I, be, that I may know him. So this is talking about relationship with God. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So there's a couple ways, a couple levels of knowing God, a couple arenas of knowing God and having fellowship with him. Number one is the power of his resurrection, knowing that he gives new life. And that's such a great arena of knowing God is when he he washed away my sin. I was born again. The burden of my sin was lifted off my shoulders and such a great way to begin knowing God. And then he says, there's also an arena of knowing Jesus where you are getting to know him through his suffering. And that's very different than resurrection power. It's suffering. But God says, through your suffering, you will get to know me in a deeper way, a more intense way than you could have before. It'll open up deeper levels of your heart to fellowship with me. And that's what God's intention is for you. He wants to know you deeper. It requires suffering. So yes, God will make your life uncomfortable. And that's very difficult for us to accept, isn't it? Anyone want a more difficult life? No, we don't. We don't. I, I use Jared as an example for this sometimes. Hi, Jared. <laughs> Jared has a horrible headache even right now, right? And uh, he's had this he- these headaches for, for a, a year, two years almost. And, and uh, it must mean God has some wonderful plan for you. And we have to believe that. We pray all the time that God removes it, and God's like, I'm not done yet. He's producing something in Jared's life. Now, we would all pray, and we all pray for you every day. We're going to pray for you again right now, um, that God would heal you, but more that he would accomplish what he needs to get done. So let's pray for Jared. Father, we thank you for your mercy and love, but, and we thank you for the example that Jared is to all of us. Lord, he has a physical manifestation of a headache, and some of us just have uh, a headache of a life every day. But Lord, we want to put our hope and trust in you completely, and we pray, Lord, that you would bring relief and, and uh, healing to Jared even right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number nine. They were supposed to eat the meat after it was roasted in fire. Not boiled and not raw. I'll, I'll read that to you. In verse 9, it said, Do not eat it raw nor boiled with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. Fire in the Bible is a picture of judgment, of judgment, of a, the judgment of a sin-hating God. And uh, death by itself doesn't save us. See, just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean that you're, 
you can be saved. He had to endure the wrath and judgment of God as he died in order for it to be meaningful. Or else maybe I could die on the cross for you. Now, I wouldn't, because I don't like you that much. But I'm just kidding. (laughs) I love you all. (laughs) But it wouldn't mean anything. I mean, people could torture me, crush me, be as mean as they want to me. It wouldn't do anything for you. See, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, he had to endure the fire of God's wrath and God's judgment upon sin for it to mean anything. And that's why this lamb could not be boiled. It had to be burned. Does that make sense? What a beautiful picture. What a consistent picture of everything in Jesus' life is being showed to us in this. Death and judgment are two different things. For the lost, when they die, they're going to face a judgment for all their works. That's called the great white throne judgment at the end of time. Okay, Where they're going to show up, God's going to open the books and say, what did you do in your life? And we're going to punish you for your works. Now, as a believer, we also face death and judgment. But our death is going to take place at the same time as an unbeliever. But our judgment takes place at a vastly different time. Instead of us showing up at the great white throne, we just show up in heaven. And our judgment, if you're wondering when it takes place, it took place 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's when all your works were judged by God on Jesus. So we do not face that judgment ever in such a great thing. Exodus uh, 12, 9, this verse that we're looking at again, we're going to look at another detail in this verse. It says, don't eat it raw, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. So I want, yeah, do you know what entrails are? Yeah, look it up. (laughs) It's that part of the turkey you never want to see at Thanksgiving. Head, legs, and entrails. Remember what I said, no word of God is without meaning. And this, again, is, obviously, if this lamb is a picture of Jesus, then this has to be of vital importance, and it is. Because the head, when you consume this lamb, he wants you to eat the head, the legs, and the entrails, which is just creepy in our mind. But what it means is that when we're having a relationship with Jesus, we're supposed to consume every part of who he is, his head, which means the way he thinks. You should know the way Jesus would think about something. Well, how would I know him in such a way? How, how do you know what Jesus thinks? Right, everything in the Bible, right? Yeah, well, what does he think about uh, stealing? Oh, it's bad, right? You should probably shouldn't steal. What does he think about murder? Well, he told us all that he thought about it, right? We know what Jesus would think. And, and fellowship with Jesus is consuming how he thinks. How would Jesus think about that? I'm suffering in my life. What does Jesus think about that? Well, there's a fellowship with him in that suffering. He is willing and able to be merciful in my suffering. So all of these things I consume and I take it into my being, who I am. Number two, you, you consume its legs. And this is the way that Jesus walked. How did Jesus actually live in this world? How did he walk? He he always made time for people. Even when he was tired and hadn't had a meal, he was always willing to stop and minister to people. How did he actually live, consume that as well? 
not just his thoughts. Oh, I know, I know Jesus thinks about that, but I'm going to go home and see you later. See, that's not doing it. Consume it all. Consume how Jesus thought. Now this last one, the entrails, which I can't imagine eating entrails. Ugh. But maybe if they're roasted, they're like, I don't know, marshmallows or something. But um, what does this mean? Well, this means consider, study who he was on the inside, in his heart, who he was as a, as a spiritual person. And in that, you take his inner man and you put it inside you. What do we call the inner man of a, of a person? The spirit. You're taking the spirit and you're inviting him in you. And this is how we know Jesus on a spiritual level where sometimes you just hurt for someone else at a deep spiritual level. And you're thinking, there's, no, I, I don't, there's not something I understand about their life that, that I hurt so bad. Or it's, I don't, it's not part of my walk, but there's just something invisible and internal that is part of my connection with Jesus right now. And that's, again, part of our relationship and connection and consuming of him through the word of God. So just that one verse gave us a ton of details about this Passover lamb who is your Jesus, who we need to consume every day, the head, the legs, and the entrails for our life. Number 10. I'm going to read to you verse 11. You shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, and with a staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. How should we live as a redeemed people? This is telling us what living by faith looks like. Number one, you should live with a belt. A belt. Now, we can connect this with the end of Galatians where he gives us the armor of God, right? And he calls it the belt of truth. But the belt is how they held up their robes. It's how they, they, they would keep their robes on. And the robes in the Bible, they, they were given robes. We are given robes of righteousness, it's called in the Bible, right? But in order to... Ha- robes can be very... Um, anyone go running in their robes? I was about to call the police if you do, but... Um, no, no, we don't go running in robes, right? Because they're big and heavy and flowy, and that's how they were back in the day, too. And so to, to, to do any work to serve at all, you know what they would do? They would take their belt, and they would hike up their robes, and they would hike them up so that their legs would be free, but their robes are still covering themselves. They still were clothed in the robes, but they were able to serve. And so how are we to take this lesson of of Jesus being our Passover lamb and make it real in our life is he says, get ready for service. Have a belt, a belt where you're ready to serve. Gird up your robes of righteousness that Jesus is giving you and get ready to serve other people. Number two, he says that they would have sandals on their feet. This means be prepared for action. In the book of Galatians, it says, have the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be ready to get out there and share with people why you have the joy you have, why you believe you're forgiven, and then that's going to make a difference in their life. And then the third thing, he says, have a staff in your hand. And pilgrims used staves in their travels. They would have a staff in their hand. It was something that they would lean on, something outside themselves. And this reminds us, as it did with Moses, of the grace of God. 
It reminds them that the best way to live is leaning upon the grace of God, something outside of yourself. In Psalm 23, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, as you're, as you're journeying, as you're, as you're moving forward with Jesus every day in your life, remember, I'm here to serve people. I am prepared to share the gospel and tell people why I'm serving, that Jesus loves me and he's washed me of my sins even today. And I'm going to trust and rely upon grace. Now, as a church, we have a lot of great needs. We need you guys to be serving. The, but not for us, but that's just how a Christian is supposed to live, by serving. This is our lesson here. How are, what is Jesus dying for you and you having a Passover lamb? What is that supposed to mean in your life? Get ready to serve. Get ready to share the gospel. Get ready to lean upon grace because it's going to be tough. Number 11, Passover in Hebrew is pakash. Is that how you say it? I don't know. Something like that. But that word doesn't mean what we would think it means. It means to shelter or protect like under the, wor- the wings of a bird. Now, thousands of years after this event, Jesus shows up right before he's crucified in Jerusalem. And he stands on the Mount of Olives, this big mountain overlooking the city, and he starts crying, looking at the people, and looking at all of the people taking their lambs in. Because what day was it? It was Passover. So all these people are taking their lambs and Jesus just starts crying and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you have known, would have known this your day, I would have taken you and gathered you under my wings. And that's the same word that is the Hebrew word for Passover, which is under the shelter of my wings. Jesus, it's another symbol, another connection that Jesus is saying, I am the Passover lamb. You don't need all these other lambs anymore. You don't need them. It's going to be accomplished today, and I'm going to do it. How, how wonderful is that? Isn't that cool? All right, number 12. They were supposed to keep this Passover feast every year. Did you catch that in the details of the story? Right? Guess what? They didn't. They didn't. In fact, the Bible only records seven times when they ever kept the Passover feast. Only seven in the thousands of years between this event when it was initiated and Jesus dying on the cross. Six of those were in the Old Testament at various times. They keep it going into the the desert. They keep it coming out of the desert. They keep it the first year in the... In there, they keep it under a couple of kings, and then a couple times when they come out of, of the Babylonian captivity, and that's it. But guess what the seventh time is they keep the Passover in the Bible? The day that Jesus died on the cross. Now, they may have kept it other times, but the Bible only records seven. Why? Because the Bible is painting pictures with the numbers. It's painting pictures with the story. It's saying seven is the number of completion. We get that throughout all the Bible, right? So Jesus dying on the cross completes the picture 
of Passover. It completes the meaning of Passover. It is the whole point of Passover. What a great, great point that is, a great detail for us. All right. Verse 22 said, And we sh- you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts and the blood that is in the basin. None of you should go out of the door of the house until morning. So first number 13 is basin. That is the place right outside your door. So usually they would have uh, outside their door would be a little um, like kind of like a bathtub, short little little bathtub where thing, you could get the dirt off your feet before you came into the house or whatever, water or whatever. And, and he says, um, don't go outside your house because there's going to be blood in that basin and don't step on the blood, but stay in the house where the blood is protecting you. Um, Jonathan Carter sent me a great joke this week. Uh, so when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. Yes, I like that one. So he says, your door is very important. Don't just go in and out of this house. What does that speak of in our life? If you live by faith, keep living by faith. Don't go in and out of the house of faith. You don't need to think that you're going to accomplish something in your life, your Christian life tomorrow. Just keep trusting in the Lord. Just stay in the house. Let the blood do its work. You know, oh, today I don't feel like a believer, so I'm, I'm not a believer today. Don't do that. Just stay close to the Lord. Draw near to the Lord. Um, Okay, the 14th thing we see, this is the last one, is hyssop. Hyssop was a little bunch of weeds, kind of like a tumbleweed, but more in like a paintbrush-type shape. Okay? Um, They were a weak bunch of leaves or or weeds, uh, and and they would use them kind of like a paintbrush, where they would dip them in something, and it could kind of splatter it on, on... uh, whatever. He didn't tell him to use a strong cedar tree or even any kind of strong wood, but he said, use a weak hyssop plant to apply this blood. And what this teaches us is humility, is how we apply this blood in our lives. God says he gives his grace, his blood, his, his life to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So it's a perfect image for us that we take humi- we with humility take his blood and apply it to our life and in that application with humility god covers us and provides everything that we need we don't we don't use pride and arrogance and say well god you're going to save me because look how wonderful i am we never do that we say i have desperate need i need you and i need your grace jesus Every day. All right. Verse 17 says, You shall observe this feast of unleavened bread on the same day I have brought your armies out of Egypt. And therefore, you shall observe it throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. So, are we supposed to be keeping the feast of unleavened bread today? Well, you certainly can. There's nothing wrong with you keeping the feast of unleavened bread. But I want to teach you how we as the church are supposed to engage with this feast today. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It's really important, and this is the whole uh, thrust of our time today. And we're done after this quick encouragement of how we apply this 
into our life today. 1 Corinthians 5.7. Yes. Paul says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven. Do you remember that part of the feast? Okay. He says, You, as a church, you guys purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. So if we were to stop there and think about that, what is he saying? He's saying you guys are already unleavened. You're already sinless and spotless and pure. How are we that way? By faith in Jesus Christ, right? You have faith in Jesus Christ, I have faith in Jesus Christ. He has washed us clean. We are truly unleavened. So Paul says, so purge out the old leaven. Well, what is he talking about? Sinful decisions, sinful lifestyles. He says, repent of them. End those way, that way of behaving because you've already been forgiven. Then look what he says. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, but, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, Paul says nothing about when you're supposed to keep the, fe- the feast the f- of unleavened bread because as the church, we are always supposed to be feasting the feast of unleavened bread. It was a, it was a, a feast, a celebration that is a picture of a lifestyle now. Our entire lifestyle is to be eating the bread of un- the unleavened bread, to be casting out the leavened bread. What does that mean? Well, God doesn't want you to live 51 weeks of the year sinning. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's what the picture would be. Oh, for one week a year. And you know what? That's exactly what Catholics do during Lent, but for a month. And uh, it's not, it, that's not how God intended it to be. Oh, you can just be holy for one week a year. That is not what it's about. For you and for me as the church, we have a feast of unleavened bread every single day. It's how we live our lives with sincerity and truth and not with wickedness and malice. Can you go a day in wickedness and malice and think that you're pleasing the Lord? No. This is a feast every day. It speaks of a real intimate relationship with Jesus where you're repenting of your sins. I didn't say that you were sinless. I said that you repent of your sins. That's what it looks like to to, uh, eat this feast Every day, you remember Christ, your Passover. You remember this chapter and all the details about his sacrifice for you, his blood covering you, and you keep that feast every day. Jesus says, unless you eat my blood or eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Every day, we consume him. We keep this feast every single day. It's just like the Sabbath day. It's just like the Sabbath day. When we get to the Sabbath day, we're going to learn some really great lessons about how Jesus is not just a one day a week rest for us. He is an everyday rest for us. So pictures of Christ and his realities in our life today. We're done. That's our study for today. But we're not done because we need to internalize this. We need to make it real in our heart and in our life. So would you guys stand with me? This is what uh, communion is all about. It's a remembering of what happened in Passover.
So we kind of get a chance right now to have a mini Passover to celebrate what Jesus did for us when he gave his life, when he gave his, you guys can come on up, when he gave his life, when he, when he sacrificed his blood for us, uh, we, we, uh, we're going to celebrate it. If you believe, this is a great, encouraging thing. Sometimes it can be a, a uh, heavy thing because we have to have those bitter herbs and remembering that it's because of our sin that Jesus sacrificed for us. Um, as you guys saw, George was just coming up here and, and, uh, and opened up the communion for us. George has been serving, uh, doing it for a couple of years now, uh, serving the communion. Today's his last day doing that, so if you guys would just tell him thank you as you're going out for uh, the time that he's put into serving. He always gets here early and doing that, but I just wanted to publicly say thank you to George. Um, doesn't even hear me right now, but that's cool. Uh, you guys can all tell him thank you for serving in that. Um, so we're going to pray. And we're going to remember what Christ has done during this song in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your great love, sending your son and punishing him for us and our sins. And Father, I pray that uh, as we drink of the cup, that that new covenant of new life would just be again poured into our hearts, that we would be reminded that we do not live by flesh and blood, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. And Jesus, you are the word of God, and we want to take it inside us by faith. Lord, it's not magic bread and it's not magic juice. It is simply a way where we can express our, our true, genuine, real faith in you and what you did for us. We know that's what you're looking for, Father. Your word has been proclaimed here today, and I pray that our hearts would be tender to receive all your words as what they are, are the very uh, food that our soul feasts on. Jesus, we thank you for being the Passover lamb for us, and we call upon you now to, uh, to heal Jarrett, to heal all of us who are sick. We've had a lot of sick people today that had to stay home. We pray you would bless each one of us as we seek you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and take communion.